0: This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California in Malibu and Silver Lake and Western Los Angeles. Oro was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to create a treatment center that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is awesome. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, and so much more. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. Hey guys, I wanna talk to you about Sober Buddy since it's super available to you if you need some help with your sobriety. It's the little blue fluffy guy you may have seen in sober memes on Instagram or Facebook. You can either use their free service called Sober Buddy Mail which is a daily email with bite-sized sober challenges plus motivations and tips that are super helpful Or you can download the Your Sober Buddy app, which is an interactive version that shifts your challenges and motivation based on how you respond to it. The app also has a sober tracker that's down to the second and daily check-ins from Buddy where he asks you how you're feeling and if you're sober and then gives you advice based on your mood. Right now, Sober Buddy has over 30,000 people using their services to get sober, and I know we've had a bunch of our listeners use it, and they really love it. If you're interested, check them out on YourSoberBuddy.com, and you can see all of the services they have to offer there. It is so nice to have these free and super inexpensive resources out there for everyone now. It's been a long time coming. Again, It's YourSoberBuddy.com if you're interested, and thank you. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help with your taxes, your bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need that you may have. Thanks to technology, They work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. Perhaps most important than anything else, the firm is run ...by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. And before we get to the show, dopes, are you tired of your boring recovery routines and need a meeting? Are you searching for a new sangha? Are you lost in the doposphere and could benefit from some connection? Or as they say in French, connection. Look no further because Dopey Zoom is here for you. They hit the recovery hard and the butt plugs even harder. There's 25 meetings a week led by dopes trying to get their shit together just like you and me. Doesn't matter if you're in NAAA, AA, no A. Dharma, the drunk tank, the detox, whatever. Dopey Zoom is here for you and celebrating two years at the end of March with the balls to the walls, marathon full of speakers, meditations, wick the rap god, mic dropping, games, and the second annual Dopey Zoom Talent Show. Find the schedule in the Dopey Nation Facebook group or the ever-controversial Dopey Reddit. Zoom ID is always 804 300, 586. the password is always toodles with lower cases check out dopey zoom if you guys need dopey gear go to dopeypodcast.com we have the new shit the fucking mantis mushroom shit finally the oive hoodie the oive long sleeve the oive tee the mantis shit there's a lot of good stuff at dopeypodcast.com It is all made by SRO Prints, a printing company out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Check out SRO Prints for all your printing needs. If you need a big bird beanie or a dopey hat or an Oive snapback or dopey stickers, just message me on Instagram and Venmo me some money and I will send it to you. All right, enough with the fucking ads. Oh yeah, also subscribe to YouTube. Okay, enough with the fucking ads. Here is the fucking show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and we are in the Dopey studio, and we are putting this out on YouTube because so many people wanted a video Dopey podcast. So we're gonna do that. And this episode is incredibly exciting because we have Nikki Six from Motley Crew, which is like Dopey Dream Guest. And we have another Dopey Dream Guest, Howie. I'm a dream guest? No, I'm just trying to be not. I'm just trying to be friendly. Howie is an old friend of mine. He is right. the the Dopey YouTube producer and
1: and sometime co host of Dopey. How's it I going, Howie? What do you think? I love. First of all, let me say it's a pleasure that I'm the co-host. Okay, remember you said the first time. Yeah, I said just that. relax. <laughs> Thank you for letting me co-host. I think co-hosting is a little, right. little heavy, little heavy-handed. Um, I think it's going pretty well, and I'm very excited about this interview because I know that it was a, it was years in the making, and uh, I think it went pretty well. I literally wrote Nikki Six hundreds of times on
0: Instagram and That's Twitter. Normal. He never wrote me back. What a surprise. And it was never mentioned in the interview, which right. which made me feel like Do you oh, think he knew? I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe. But I you, you, I mean it's like one thing Chris always told me was that like I don't know where he saw it. I think he saw it on YouTube. Somebody who had millions of followers, right? Mm-hmm. They showed the notifications on their phone. Yeah. And it was literally like. Duh, 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 duh. It, oh, yeah. Like, never never ending, stopped. Right. Yeah. They so can't... it's
1: like you have to shut the notifications off. So you don't know. Yeah. You can't check all those notifications at, at that point when you've got so many followers.
0: But Courtney Love always read my messages and used to respond. Like, I guess she's more interested in responding. Got to get back in touch. I, I write her sparingly. I still
1: yeah. write her. She's now them. you're doing a thing on YouTube and you'd, you'd love her to join.
0: Yeah, I think Courtney Love might be coming up soon on the on the Dopey YouTube extravaganza. And we need you guys. For some reason, you guys aren't subscribing to Dopey YouTube. It is free. There's tons of good shit there. There's Daily Reflections, which is... You know, it's an experiment in, in, uh, in, in kind of recovery television. But then me and Howie and special guests are tasting every Ben & Jerry's flavor in the Ben & Jerry's universe. And then we're going to get Ben & Jerry's to fucking make a dopey flavor and donate all the money to addiction charities. And then uh, dopey YouTube is going to grow. We're doing behind the dopes where special dopes like Don... And Emily Sullivan and like who else or, did it? Aaron, Aaron Jess, and Jess, Kent. Me.
1: Howie. I on, not, I won't be Howie YouTube.
0: did a behind the dope. Right. This is our new segment, Behind the Dope, where where, you know, somebody in the audience or whatever tells a dopey story. And in Howie's case, he tells his origin rage story about how Howie is always a hair away from violent <laughs> horror. Fury that sounds
1: like me. Yes. Yeah.
0: So look for that's on Patreon. So please go to www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast and watch the Howie rage special. Yep. Go to YouTube, which is obviously youtube.com and, you know, subscribe, subscribe. to Dopey podcast. Yes. See the magic become part of the magic. Yes. Oh, shit. Why? we didn't do this today and I for- we forget to do it every week. What we're going to be doing, and this is very important for you guys is we're going to be setting up a call-in feature where dopes from all over the world can call in. They can video or audio call, and we can do a little call-in segment on Dopey, right? I love that idea.
1: And also the Discord that we're trying to set up. Yeah, you have have to explain that. Dopeypodcast.com slash Discord. Do you know
0: that in My Little Pony, the bad guy's name was Discord? I knew that.
1: But I don't. Why don't you explain to everybody? Because I don't know. What? I don't really explain what Discord is. Yes, I can't explain what Discord is. It's a fucking place where people could talk to each other, and we're gonna we're gonna try to start the community there. The problem with Facebook is Facebook is like one channel, and all the bullshit happens. In I one know, channel. but
0: it, but the, the there's like a good solid audience locked into Facebook, and they're probably like, I don't know what Discord I is. Don't know what, I'm
1: hoping that we can. What get can they people, get out
0: of Discord that they can't get out of Facebook?
1: I I think the idea is that. On Facebook, it's kind of hard to have conversations in one thread with people, right? Like everything is happening in one long thread. You're on Facebook and on Discord
0: in the universe.
1: What is a better experience for you? Well, nothing's happened on Discord. Yet, no, no, so. I don't mean in Dopey. I mean in whatever, whatever you. Follow. Oh, I, lo- I, I the reason why I like Discord is because you have these discrete conversations happening in different channels. So if you wanted to talk about behind the dope, and I have a crazy story to share, I know exactly where to go to share it so that it's gonna it's gonna be seen. If I wanted to talk about if I wanted to share a meme, I know exactly where to put it. Right, right. It's more if, organized. It's more organized. If you're doing that on Facebook, it's really happening on one channel. If you don't see it, you don't see it. You could search, I guess. But it's not, it's kind of like in the moment. All right, this is interesting. So
0: we're looking for a few good, good, we're looking for a few good dopes who want to get involved in this dopey Discord thing. Right. So if you do, write me or us at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Say you're interested. Also, send in an email. Also, send in a voicemail. Emails and voicemails get free socks. And yes, (laughs) I have done shipping yesterday just about. Everybody is caught up. If you do not have your hat or socks, please write me another email, and I will get it out straight away. I just got a new shipment of Oyve hats, and the last Oyve hat is being sent out tomorrow. So, like, I feel like we finally caught up with the shipping. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys are doing good. I'm very excited about Nikki Six. I'm very excited about Euphoria. Just when you think that show can't get better, it hits even harder. And this week is the dopey, sensational euphoria where it's just like... It's like one of the dopiest, hardest shows I've ever seen as a drug addict. Watching uh, Zendaya playing Rue go into withdrawal. So I know that the Dopey Nation is plugged in. Howie's still never
1: seen never it. Never seen it. So I mean, it sounds... I guess it sounds interesting, but I I don't know that I'd be able to connect with what the character is going through. But you say that without ever watching the show. Right. So, like, let's just hold all reservations,
0: hold opinions, check out the show. Yeah. Um, And then I think we're going to do a Patreon special on Euphoria with the TV reviewer guy that we're friendly with, Devin. And that'll be cool. Maybe you can watch it and chime in a little bit. Maybe not. Can I can we get Zendaya? I don't think so. I don't think we can get Zendaya. I, I think, think eventually. Yeah. I think like, no, honestly, like next week, I'm saying. No, I think that I think eventually we will be in the market. We will be the addiction spot. Like, I Love think it. I think that I mean, we're already the addiction spot for a lot. of people. I like that people. you say we. Well, it's a we. It's a royal yeah. we. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a we that you're referring to me. It's we. You're yeah. part of the we. I guess so. And all of you guys are part of the we. Right. We, Dopey we. is on the rise. I do not think it is impossible to get Zendaya on the show because I thought it was almost impossible to get Nicki Six, and yet—and look at this. Here we are. Here we are. So before we play Nikki Six one more time, please subscribe to YouTube. It's free. Please join Patreon. It's not free, but there's so much good stuff. There's the Patreon Zoom uh, where we get together at the end of every month and we have fun. Howie's going to be at the Patreon Zoom maybe this month. At
1: Patreon Zoom talking about. The Discord, which is adobepodcast.com slash discord. It's too much. You're you're it's too confusing for everybody.
0: <laughs> There's too many things. Here we go. This is Nikki Six. It was a pleasure to talk to him and uh let's play the thing. So before we get to Nikki Six, we have a new sponsor, an incredible elixir called Magic Mind. And I've I've used it and it's it's pretty it tastes good. It's interesting. It's made with this stuff called matcha and nootropics which helps us focus and get energy i cannot believe i'm saying that it works but it it worked and it tastes pretty good and we're giving you guys 20 percent off if you order it and the most amazing thing about the dopey magic mind order offer is that if you get magic mind and you don't think it did anything for you they're going to give you all of your money back. 100% money back guarantee. You you drink it with your coffee in the morning. I've been drinking it. I like it. It tastes good. It gives me some focus. And it makes me feel like I can get a little bit more done without feeling crazy or wired. So you check it out at www.magicmind.co slash dopey and use the discount code at checkout dopey and you'll get off your first order. And if you get it and it didn't do what they tell you it's going to do, they'll give you your money back. So that's magicmind.co slash dopey discount code dopey. Here is Nikki six. I can't tell you like how, what a pleasure it is to meet you and how thrilled I am that you agreed to come on our little show. First of all,
2: well, Thank you, man. I, uh, I, I got the request and looked you up and I was like, looks, looks like fun.
0: It should be fun. And I mean, before I say anything else, um, I want to tell you a little story, right? I was fucking strung out on heroin and my mother was dying and I came home and I got this hair, make him bigger in the thing. He's gotta be bigger. He's Nikki fucking six. Come on. Nah. Um, and, uh, i got a job in a deli and i knocked this girl up and she got pregnant right and uh the baby was due in february and i'm trying my best not to use and for christmas she buys me the heroin diaries, (laughs) which, which was the hardest book I ever read at that moment. And I blamed you for relapsing while she was pregnant. I relapsed on Xanax, uh, walking to the deli. And that's a comedy story. This is not a serious indictment of this book. It's one of my favorite books I ever read about drug addiction. And I've, I'm just thrilled to have you on the show. I don't want to embarrass you or anything.
2: How are you? Thank you, man. Well, I'm glad that you got through that. And, uh, and hopefully you're you're living in recovery or some version of it. You're not going down that uh, down that path.
0: No, I have six years, and I'm and I'm with the same woman. We had a second kid, and I just read the first twenty-one, and I reread the heroin diaries, and I'm all and I watched the Dirt this week. I reread the Dirt. I'm fucking all sixed out. Um, how are you feeling?
2: I feel great. I'm I'm probably the happiest. I've ever been in my life. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. You, you, uh, you read about people that are in the entertainment business. And, um, a lot of people have a hard time once they're not, uh, at their peak. And one thing that I loved about my, still love about my crew is like we go up and we'll hit a peak, whatever year that'll be. And then we kind of reconvene. And, and a lot of music comes around. We've been together 40 years. I've seen every version of every kind of band tried to knock you, you know, knock you off the mountain, take your crown. But as you go and then you come back again and you've reached new fans. And even recently with the, with the movie, the dirt, and there's like a whole new generation of people. Now we're doing a stadium tour and, you know, I'm 63 years old. And I, I just love the idea of, of writing this thing out, not worrying about age, not worrying about, uh, being in or out. It's just a really nice place to be. I'm I'm happily married. I have five children. They're all doing their own thing, which is a lot of cool stuff. And I have a two and a half year old and that's, that's like awesome as well. Getting to relive, relive that, but during a different time in my life.
0: Totally. Having a little kid with 20 years sober. I mean, is that, was that different? First of all, let's start there. You know, you, your other children you had in and out, right. Of sobriety.
2: Correct. I was my. Uh, I was. I was sober. You know when my uh, oldest was was born, and I, I I stayed sober in there about six years, and then I, I literally fell off the wagon. Got right back on again. Uh, I had four years, or it was four years and six. I can't remember. It was so fucking long ago, and um, the last time, I just said to myself, some, something's missing. I'm not getting it. Nobody came to me and said, um, you know, you need to go to rehab, you, you you need anybody. It was all, I understood what was happening. I had unresolved issues and no, matter, uh, no amount of sobriety was going to fix that. I had to do some deep, deep work and that's why I checked myself into rehab, you know, t- over 20 years ago to get the work done, dive in a little bit deeper. So I was able to be present during all my children's life. Um, you know, when I went out, uh, I think it's, you know, everybody goes out in their own way. I didn't go out and go back to shooting dope. I, I thought, you know, I did like a, a lot of uh, people in sobriety. I just tried on the beer and see, well, you know, I could do a glass of wine, you know, well, you know, since you have a line of, you know, below I'll just do a little bump, and, and you know that that's a, that's enough to set my brain on fire, and I start going. Well, why can I not have two? Why can I not have four? I'm you know, the addict and the demons inside, and I just don't want to play that game. I really don't want to play that game. I wanna I want to live in the present, and I really want to ride out my life in a way that's about creativity and and living in the moment, and being. Um, I don't even know if I would say being a role model, but if somebody is looking at this, uh, at me, they can go, wow, look at a guy who really kind of really crashed and burned for a moment in time. And, um, she's been able to turn it around. It's harder sometimes to be, um, let's just say, you know, in a successful band and you're, a lot of people are making money off of you and to really confront the celebrity, uh, the moneymaker, the, the head of the family. Uh, so it's, it's important when those of us that are in that position can say, you know, I did this for these reasons and um, nobody forced me or nobody was worried about losing their job. I mean, it was uh it was an inside job, so to speak.
0: But when you're a kid, right? One of my favorite things about you is like, when you're a kid, you had a vision and you followed this vision, like to the T and you constructed this movement, you know, your band, your sound, everything came out of your head. Like I don't think you saw the celebrity down the road, and you saw the no. how big the fame was going to be, and the microscope you were under. You wanted to be a rock star making music. Like was was that like a surprise? Like how that kind of came up at you? Fame,
2: fame was weird. You know, I I didn't really dig it when it first happened because I was just so focused on the band. All I ever wanted to be, and find out reading the first 21 is I just want to be in a band. I just want to be able to write a song like Mark Bolin or Ian Hunter. I just wanted to figure out how to have a groove on a riff like Aerosmith. I I wasn't like, I want to be on the cover of Star Magazine or something. I, I, I never really felt comfortable in that role. And the first 21,
0: one. the first 21 is such a cool book because it's like, I mean, The Heroin Diaries is one of my favorite drug rock and roll memoirs I ever read, and I've read, like, all of them, <laughs> so it says yeah. a lot. The, fir- the first 21, just like the the primer on how you became Nikki Six, what made you decide to do that? Had you gone to Wyoming first and been like, I'm here, and it kind of flashed back because you grew up in-, in Idaho?
2: Yeah, it kind of... Um it came to me, I was, we was going down another road for an idea for a book and we had come up to Wyoming to stay here, to look for homes. And I was just, it it just started taking me back to my roots. And then when we, we found a place that, that we live in, we're on top of a mountain with we're very fortunate, just so much property, which bumps right up to national park. So where we're at, you can't see anybody. And it's kind of like if you turn the TV off and the radio off and your computer off and you just sit there for a moment. Some people call that meditation. Uh, it it gets like loud in your head. And you're like, wow, what are what are all these messages where are they coming from it's i was literally staring at the grand tetons and just on the other side was idaho 45 minutes away and and twin falls idaho i could get in my car right now and drive there and that's you know and jerome idaho which is right across the snake river which is snake rivers right out here it all it started it, it started taking me down memory lane. And I, I kind of asked myself in that moment with all the silence and all the, the land and the wind just blowing off the mountain. Like, where did everybody go? Right. And and I, for me, once like we hit jet fuel, I kind of forgot uh, to stop. I moved to Los Angeles and I, you know, everything happened in Los Angeles and it was only by coming to Wyoming. Of course, I'm in contact with my sister and my aunt and cousins and a few old friends, but this was different. We went to the you know ground zero when I was born and started talking about those moments with my family and my aunt was there. Um, and she got to explain a lot of stuff about my dad and my mom. And as we started going down the road, when I got older and older. I find this discovery of of books and music, like everybody else, um, but my imagination is like I couldn't get enough of it. And when I really f- discovered like rock and roll for for real, uh, not just like stuff on the radio, but when I started getting like, I had a little record player and I get put on a whole record, and and it, the lyrics were very important to me which I think came to me from loving to read poetry and read books, even adventure books. Um, And then music and something I don't really understand where it comes from. For me, I I could just not pick up a guitar, my bass for six months, let's say not that that really happens, but um, I could just pick it up and start playing. Something comes out. I just keep a bass next to the bed and my wife will be, In the bathroom but on her makeup or something she'll she'll walk by and she goes oh that's a cool song what's that i go i don't know right because it it comes and thank god to this digital device right here you know i used to carry around a cassette deck and just record things and sing into it so i've got thousands of weird ideas in here that are everything from ideas for writing books to Um, photography to music to and constantly like chasing this thing in my head I was doing something the other day and I was like wow I should like turn that into a band and I'm like what am I doing I don't need to be in another band but it's it's the creativity you know
0: well, that's my favorite thing about you. It's like you, you had this arc you – you're an architect and you build things and you're a photographer and you're an author and you're a songwriter and it's like keep doing it. But I want to know like when you started going back in time and it's like this is – the, the blueprint for Nikki Six. it's also the, the blueprint for an alcoholic and a drug addict because it's yeah. like, that's how it happens for us. You know what I mean? I'm also a hero. I told you, I'm a heroin addict in recovery. And like fucking like age seven, you try weed. Like what hit you first, weed and drinking a little bit or rock and roll?
2: Well, unfortunately for me, we lived in Mexico for a year. That's not the unfortunate part. That was the great part. <laughs> But my stepfather, um, it was the 60s, uh, probably like 64, 65. Um, They were just partying all the time. My mom was partying all the time. I didn't know what that was. It definitely felt different when I came back to Idaho and lived with my grandparents. And we were, you know, out in the open, fishing, hunting and stuff. And then I'd be back with my mom and it would be be chaos. Uh, I didn't really understand that. And so my stepfather... Got me to try weed when I was like six or seven. Um, I didn't even, you know, I I don't try to make it into one of those war stories because I, I don't really remember anything other than I just remember I felt weird. And you know, you're a kid. Weird is everything. That person makes me feel weird. Stay away from them. That uh, that guy made me feel weird too. You know, he was just uh, he smacked me around and shit. And probably, probably is you know, in in a lot of ways. Responsible for me having this mindset, you, know, you can't put your hands on me, right? Uh, and you can't verbally assault me. And um, I'll stand my ground for what I believe in musically, even if the newest, biggest band in the world is all wearing space suits. I always get some executive going, Mickey, don't you think you, motley Crue guys, should wear space suits now? And I'm always going to be the guy that stands my ground for that, even. If it's to a fault and that could have come from some of those messaging um, people that were around in my early years. The other thing about this book is I realized my childhood just didn't always suck. I had some really great times and uh, if it wasn't for all of it. We wouldn't probably be doing an interview right now. It would just be another creative guy that, you know, might work at Walmart or something. And I'd go home and doodle and do photography or wherever I work. Maybe I would, you know, end up, um, you know, putting myself through school somehow, even though I didn't have the finances. Um, it would have done something else in my life. But I always believe I would be blue collar, whatever it is. I'm 100% a hundred percent a blue collar type person. So that's why sometimes fame and money and stuff like that. It feels a little like, wow, this I always feel guilty. All right, a house in Los Angeles, people would come over and it had this huge entrance way. And people come in, they go, whoa. And I go, Oh, yeah, I it's okay, man. I'm sorry. They're like, what do you mean? You're sorry.
0: You have to apologize for your success. And and maybe yeah. that's another reason why you did all the shit you did why you went as far as you went, because you were uncomfortable being this But, you know, eventually you had a number one record, so you could have been considered as a pop star. I know that's sacrilege for me to say it to you, but like you were fucking top of the charts on MTV, the whole thing. And it's like, meanwhile, in your heart, you're this poor kid from Idaho who hunted and fished and your dad was gone and your mother was gone. Yeah. It's like. But I, I mean, no matter what happened with you, I personally believe you probably would have been in a similar spot because you had a vision and the vision was everything. Like one of my favorite stories in the book, I never had this kind of thing happen where you felt bullied and you were like, fuck that. And you grabbed a bunch of rocks, put them in your lunchbox and fucking knocked the kid out. Like how old were you at that point?
2: Oh God, I was so young. And that, that was an important part for me because I realized that because I was different, um, that these, uh, these Mexican kids older were just messing with me all the time. And, um, I was like the new kid in school. And I just remember going, I don't care how big you are, that, that ain't going to happen. And that would not be unlike when we, um, got into a legal lawsuit with Electro Records and took the masters away from them. You know the big bad thousand-pound gorilla. Um, I'm going to put rocks in my lunchbox and I'm going to hit you over the head. And and I've I've been able to calm that in me a little bit. You know I've been able to think about it a little bit. But um, it's important to stand up for yourself in a relationship. You know I think it's important for women to stand up for themselves. I think it's important for people to be able to voice their opinions. Uh, whether I believe in it or not. And I got a lot of that from, you know, being young and traveling around. And um, it was really interesting. You know, when you stand up for yourself, um, people don't like it, but then all of a sudden people like, admire it at the same time.
0: They learn to respect you. Now, your mom was very wild. And one of the things I had read the Heroin Diaries years ago, and I'm reading the first 21, and you're talking about your mother's boyfriend, Richard. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I had to reread it like twice to really understand that your mother was dating Richard Pryor. Like, yeah. it's like you really rubbed up against fame before you became famous. Do you think that informed your whole career in a way?
2: I never knew. Anything about Richard other than he was just really fun, cool. nice to me, and hung out with me. And that's my memories of Richard. It wasn't until later in life that I was able to go, Oh, Richard Pryor, you know, and in the seventies, and you know, in part of the eighties, Richard was like the guy. And I, I would kind of fondly see him come on TV on an interview. Read something about him, and I'd be like, wow, that was just this guy that would come over, was dating my mom, and just treated me really, really good. Really. And so, you know, it's also like important for me, like when I was like looking through my past, um, it's easy to go, oh, the guy in the dirt and the heroin diaries and start to paint me into a I had it rough, but I'm a badass. And truth is, I'm not really a badass. I had it rough and I didn't have it rough. You know, I had Bernie who would give me weed and smack me around. And then I had Richard who was just kind. And I, I think that all these people form who you are, all these experiences form who you are. So back to the top of what we were talking, uh, it's is why I'm really happy where I'm at right now. I've had all these cool life experiences and I get, get back together with my band and, you know, you know how important being in a band is to me. And I get to go tour and it's going to be fun. I and mean, we're going to be outside. There's going to be, I don't know how many people in each city, 50 to 80,000 people singing these songs that came from somewhere that when I was listening to the AM radio in Jerome, Idaho, you know, you stand up on stage, you're like, wow. And sometimes I go, wow, why me? You know, I don't know.
0: Well, you, I mean, it's its ridiculous. You're going to tour with Def Leppard and Poison and Joan Jett. And in the book, you say you're yeah. not that thrilled about touring with Poison. But Def Leppard and Joan Jett, you feel good about, um, which I think is funny. You know, I it's, think that's it, fair it, it's enough.
2: A great, it's a great night for people. that That's the most important thing is if you literally look at all the bands and count their hits um, and multiply it by five, I mean, that's how many hours you're going to have of you know every single song or almost every single song. You know, we try to do a couple deep tracks here and there. You know, we notice when we play Girls, Girls, Girls versus we play piece of your action, it's you that's gonna go, oh my God, they're playing piece of your action. And the person next to you may be like, I don't know, I, don't, I only heard their greatest hits. So it's important to play some of those older songs too. But in general, it's the greatest hit show.
0: It'll be amazing. Now when you when you when I read the first 21 I almost didn't feel like hero, like ridiculous heroin addict Nikki is going to come out of this um, wh- what do you think like the first glimpse of you as like an alcoholic and an addict really kind of came into your mind that that was a possible path
2: Well, I associate it with When I go back in time, this compulsive, uh, addictive drive and whether it was me uh, doing odd jobs, mowing lawns, whatever, working in restaurants, dishwashing, I was obsessed with the idea of the destination or the or the goal. You know, what's the goal? And once you win enough, like score enough points and beat enough teams, you go to the Super Bowl. So for me, I was obsessed with the idea of getting a bicycle so I could ride here to do work on the farm, to do this, to make money, to buy a guitar, to get on a bus, to go to Los Angeles, to learn how to write and play and form the most dangerous band in the world. Like that's all I could go all the way back and go, I was obsessed i was
0: obsessed
1: An obs- and obsession right that's
2: that's addictive behavior
0: exactly obsession and compulsion if it's positive or negative is totally what drives us i, yeah. I when i lost my family i became obsessed with getting them back. And I, I, I actually started going to AA just to deal with the obsession of not having my family to have an yep. obsession be lifted through a spiritual practice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah one of my favorite stories in this first 21 is when you start selling mescaline and you add chocolate to it. Can you please tell that story for the Dopey Nation? Cause they're going to love that.
2: I am a marketing genius.
0: You are <laughs> for sure.
2: Well, uh yeah i don't it wasn't like i was um this is my way of of having a cool product so to speak you know but uh we're gonna add
0: chocolate to mescaline that's gonna be the way of the future so
2: i you mixed it together and put it in these little capsules and then you sold it as chocolate mescaline to other kids your age. I mean, it just sounds like a good time to be. Give me some chocolate and It's not like LSD, but you know, <laughs> so stupid, right? So stupid.
0: I love it. Um, And your mother, you describe as this very beautiful hippie. And when Motley Crue kind of came in, I got the sense that like there was nothing worse than hippies or new wave people. Do you think kind of like, did you hate hippies going in because like you were just pissed? Like what's your relationship to hippie culture? I want to hear about that.
2: Um, I'm not too ingrained in it. I respect it for a lot of reasons. It was an important time in the sixties, the Vietnam war and what was going on politically. And people to grow their hair and stand up for themselves, have a different snapshot of what they want their life to look like. They don't want to be Ozzie and Harriet. Um, I really appreciate that. And some really great music came out of that, obviously. And some of that music that had some of that heartbeat then linked over to the 70s, which was, is my favorite era of any era. Um, I have a lot of respect for that, but that was never really a big influence to me. There aren't really any 60s bands I can think of that I listen to and go, I want to really emulate that or I want to play bass like that. It was more like the late 60s and then 70s where it was go time for me.
0: That muscly rock and roll bass, absolutely, the the heavy stuff. When was the first time you did Coke?
2: God, I can't remember. (laughs) I think it was probably at the Starwood uh, backstage uh, where David Forrest worked and there was always like a lot of celebrities back there and I was kind of a, me and Lizzie who was a guitar player in London and Dane Rage who was the drummer. We were like, you know, (laughs) the, the three of us were just always tied together and uh, I remember always being told, you know, take some rum and coke back to them. You know, John Holmes is back there. Todd Rundgren back there. so and so's back there. And I was just some kid with a weird haircut that they just, you know, needed me to go do stuff. I was janitor during the day there with Lizzie and Dane. Um, I think at some point right around then, that I got a, a little taste of that.
0: And you were like, "Wow, this was Did it set off rockets in your head? Like when you did coke, or not, did it not?" Not
2: really. You know, alcohol for me was my favorite because you know we just drink and get rowdy and do stupid shit. Coke, for some reason, push you could you could go longer with with coke drinking, which of course is the downfall. So um, you know, you give it an alcoholic cocaine, that's just they're just going to drink twice as much for twice as many days in a row.
0: So yeah. alcohol was the first love. And then when was the first time you tried heroin?
2: Oh, God. The heroin. I think like living uh, in an apartment in uh, off of Coldwater Canyon. There were some people in other bands. And um, somebody came around from San Diego and said, hey, I got some, uh, was some Persian heroin. And I just thought, wow, Keith Richard, like, Miles Davis, like, what do they know that I don't know? You know it's like um, So, yeah, I tried it. And I remember going, this is the worst experience ever. Like, threw up all over the place and laid there on my back hyperventilating. And, you know, leave it to an addict. They're like, that was fun. Let's do it again until right. you strung out and, and almost and, and die. You know, it's, it's crazy. I I like to be part of, I'm not your mom. I'm not your fucking dad. I'm just here to tell you and show you what happened with me. I didn't take care of shit, so shit caught up. And um, I'm going to show you through my writing and interviews and stuff. At times, I don't want to be known as this is just my only job. But I'm going to show you what happens when you take it too far and, and then you get to make your own decisions. You know, I'm not here to write anybody. I'm never on social media, putting people down with addiction or something. It's a struggle. It's hard. And me and you are really lucky. We got out. So all I try to do is just share my story. And, you know, I, it's funny, you know, sometimes I'll see stuff. I, I don't read a lot of comments or stuff. Um, half the time I don't even know my passwords to get on stuff. So uh, even though I'm kind of a, I, I am a little bit of an addict with uh, Instagram because I love photography so much. So I'm like constantly posting photos and stuff. But maybe it's an overshare who knows, maybe it's something I got work on, but, um, you know, I, I see every now and then, when's this guy going to stop talking about heroin? When's this guy going to stop? T- I love this one. Cashing in on heroin. Like, okay, I am trying to spread the message of what it looks like and what it could look like for you and what it did look like for me. That's it. Peace out. Make your own decisions. Uh, so I'll probably always have, you know, a little bit of chatter about it and, and uh, you know, probably be fucking 80 years old, dude. And someone's going to ask me about it. Maybe, maybe some 20 year old reads this weird old pirate interview and goes, wow, I was going to try drugs and that made me not do it.
0: Well, our audience is like a bunch of drug addicts. Some are in recovery. Most are in recovery at this point. Some are on the fence and some aren't. Yeah. And like, you don't have to worry about like telling them the wrong thing or anything. Cause I mean like they've, they're in the road that we're in. And I think when you, I've read you talk about the warmth that hits you with dope and just you talking about Keith Richards and Miles Davis. And I know what a reader you are and how much you appreciate art. I know for myself, like when I first started doing dope, I was like, I finally don't, my brain didn't, isn't bothering me anymore. Like my brain isn't giving me like, you're not good enough. Like you don't, you're worrying about this. You're worrying about that. All of a sudden I feel nothing good. And like, finally I don't have to fret. Like I'm as cool as I could imagine being because I don't have to worry about anything. And I didn't have anything when I got addicted. I, I had a little job and like, I was like, I'm just going to do this. I, I, you know, the Lou Reed song, like uh heroin where he says, I've made a decision. And I remember when I made the decision, like, when did you turn the, the corner on trying it to being like, I can handle this or thinking that you could.
2: This this is the crazy part about my story is I never even thought about controlling it or anything. It wasn't till I, got clean and sober that I was able to look at anything and go, I can't do just one. I just can't. Uh, which was freeing for me because you know, once you're really strung out in my case, when I was really strung out on dope, then comes this like this wrestling match with your addiction. I remember buying a large chunk of heroin and breaking it down with my dealer. From a gram to this much, to this much, to and it was like in 28 days you will be clean and sober with right. this process.
0: The and impossible wean.
2: Day one, like I fucking slammed the dope. I'm like, okay. And then in the evening, I'm like, I got the itch. You know, maybe I'll just chip a little out of that. And, you know, I, it was all gone in a week, and of I course. got even more strung out. Uh, I can't do anything once. I don't think I can ever drink. I know I can't ever drink. Uh, It's just the way it is. And I'm sure some of your listeners can relate to this. I apply my addictive behavior to my family, how much I love them, obsessed with my family, with music, with photography, um, something that's been important in my life books. And, you know, now we're on the fourth New York times bestseller. And so now I've got some people talking to me about, you know, what's the next steps for that. Me and my wife are working on a children's book and I just formed a production company and signed a deal with a huge, director, uh, we're starting uh, um, developing an animation for children, uh, episodic, that is based around music. So each each show, based on the age group that we're working on, which is six to nine, will have an original song. So it might be a co-write, it might be an original for me, it might be something that we license, you know, but it's, it's all music driven. And I've just noticed through... Uh, Ruby, my two-and-a-half-year-old, that when we're watching any children programming and music comes on, she gets going, you know, she starts dancing. And I it's was like, this is, this is what happened to me. When I heard music, I started going like, what's that in the background? What is that on my grandmother's radio? What is that? I mean, I remember hearing Petulia Clark driving around Los Angeles with my mom hearing Petulia Clark's song, Downtown, which was about downtown Los Angeles and the bells were ringing, dude. It was like, jing, 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 jing. And I was writing stuff down and, you know, I, I never set out to be a songwriter. I just tried to document the crazy in, you know, in my brain and you're right. The heroin and other things, quieted the monster. So I want that monster to scream, but I just want to point it in the right direction
0: Totally. And it's the fire. You know what I mean? You have the fire to do anything you want. I, I put my, all that shit into this stupid podcast. Like I started it with a buddy of mine when I got right out of rehab, he wound up dying from a fentanyl overdose two and a half years into it. And then it really kind of blew up because everybody loved him so much that the community came together. And now yeah. my, my dream is to like keep addicts company by having a laugh at the dumbest shit we ever did because we can relate. And of course it's not like, Oh, heroin's amazing. I love tripping. It's not, it's about, we've been through this and now how can we have sober lives that are informed by these ridiculous things that we did? You know what I mean? Cause that's the, the, cosmic poetry of the whole thing i yeah. mean you died twice right so, so,
2: yeah i mean not i'm not the only one a lot of your listeners are like yeah me too mm-hmm. that's how far it'll take you of course you told me about your your friend and your partner he he passed over that line that some of mm-hmm. us get to come back from and I'm glad you kept on this because I think it's important to keep talking about this stuff, and and also I like the, the humor in it. You know, when you go to a good AA meeting, you're some old timers. You got a lot of you got a lot of chuckles going on. Um, yeah, I just I just think it's an amazing program, and I think having a podcast that um, gets the community to listen, talk, and share their experiences um you're probably reaching people in all these different countries that you could never reach. you know if you got a a meeting down in the corner you can get your local area people neighborhood maybe you got a sponsor there whatever some of your friends but in your situation or in my situation we're able to talk about this and realize that part of the responsibility is to just share the truth and like I said, you know, I'm not your mom and dad. This is just what happened to me. And if you can relate to that, then um maybe it'll like stop them from going over that line, or their marriage blowing up, or them crashing their car and rolling it and killing a family that's on their way back from getting pizza. This we could go on and on with this stuff that happens. Um Totally. So you're doing a good thing there,
0: dude. The, the currency of Dopey is the horrible Dopey story. So you have this book is just every story is like I could just turn to the page and pick one. Could you tell in your mind, what do you think the worst fucked up story you could tell very quickly and not to ruin your life here? Like a good one for the Dopey Nation.
2: You mean in the, in the drug culture?
0: I mean, yeah, some 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 kind of fucking story. Yes, please.
2: I I pride myself on trying to be a really good band leader. Um, I didn't take that role. I think it's just the nature of our personalities and a lot of responsibility the band trusts me to take care of. Um, but we're very much a band. The band is so important to me. So anything I do, it is for the band, about the band, Uh, will go beyond the call of duty for the guys in the band. So something that still hurts my heart is that when I was strung out, uh, I came to rehearsal and showed the band a song and uh, you know, I was like, here Vance, like kind of lyrics, halfway done, Here's kind of the riff, Mick. What would you do with it? I got this chorus here. Start doing it. If they like it, we're going to finish it. If they don't like it, then, you know, you move on. I can't tell you how many songs just died on the chopping block right then. And everybody seemed really stoked and excited. I remember I went home, came to rehearsal the next day, and I showed the band the same song. It was like Groundhog Day. Because I was so fucked up, and I, had, I remember Tommy saying, "You know, I had track marks on the top of my hand because a lot of my veins had collapsed." And I just feel so bad that I my band through that. And that was before, you know, I had a family, and I'm sure, you know, it was painful for my family back in Idaho, but they didn't know the extent. So my my family in Los Angeles, California. Uh, You know, I feel bad that I put them through that. and It makes me feel bad because I I have a lot of pride in raising the standard for myself and for our band.
0: I hear you. I hear you. What's it like when you record the uh, the audio book for the Heroin Diaries and you're reading? All of these really crazy stories, stone cold yeah. sober, and you're in the worst moments of your life. Basically, like, what's the experience as a sober person? I feel
2: I feel gratitude when I'm reading, and I also would have to. I would say if it was present day, Nikki, that'd be like, you know, um, I was thinking about blah blah blah, and in 1987. You know this happened and very lucid and clear and so i'd be reading it like that like we're talking and then it would be like june 27th and so i would have <laughs> to reset and and there were parts where i said let's just do the, the chapter reads and then i'd go back and fill that back in again but every time i got into one it wasn't like i would feel massive amounts of shame or embarrassment because I made the decision to publicize this and I saw that it was helping people. I'm so I felt gratitude. I was like, Oh my God, I survived that. I survived myself. I survived my thought processes about my family. Like, wow, look at this that I'm getting to do. So it wasn't so gruesome but I would have to change the tone of my voice a little bit. Is that interesting?
0: I, I, I read it and I listened to it. I actually finished reading it again this morning and I fucking cried. The end of the book is so like crazy because you go through, you go to hell and back like a thousand times in this book. And then at the end of the book, you're like turning a corner and then you give us the kind of crypt notes on the next 10 years of your life. And it's like, it's like a lot. It's like the end of a movie and you see this guy did this, this guy did this, this guy did this after you've been through this, you know, crazy experience. And it's like, you know, I I was just thinking like you didn't write a book about the process of getting sober. Like you didn't write a book about like what happens after this. And like, are you ever thinking about doing that? Like the actual nitty gritty of how you got from here to 21 years?
2: I haven't really thought about that. I thought it was important to show that you your worst and then what you can do when you uh, make decisions like doing recovery. So I've, I've enjoyed that part. You know, no matter where I go in the world, somebody has that book Yeah, and I've had people with tears in their eyes. i see it in the front row and people saying thank you and it just really does my heart good. And, um, I raised over a million dollars, um, in sales to give to Covenant House to create a music program um, for their down in Los Angeles, California. And a lot of these kids, um, they, they fall through the f- uh, cracks in the foster care system. So when they turn 18 years old, the foster parents are like, look, the government's no longer paying us, and it's time that you, you know, get all, I'm not saying all foster parents are evil, but a lot of kids fall through the crack, and they don't they they couch they uh, couch surf and they um, try to get by and they do whatever they have to do to make money. But they fall through the cracks. They end up on the streets. They end up in gangs and selling drugs and prostitution. And now, um, you know, especially in the last five years, a lot of talk about human trafficking and uh, these kids being picked up and taken to other countries. So. By building a music program they, and then you pull them off the street and they get them through, they get them restarted with an education and um, psychology and recovery. And then they can go and they can, they can go and learn how to program beats for hip hop, or they can learn how to play guitar like Keith Urban or they can, you know, whatever it is they want to do. And it gives them something to look forward to. And I felt like for me, when I got sober, I was like, oh my God, look, I have a band. Like I have a band, I have something to look forward to because you also have life, you know, you have responsibility and mortgages and car payments and, um, you know, your father and all the shit that happens in life that we work so hard for can also be a lot of work. And so for me, I have Motley Crue or 6am or stuff that I do creative to, to look forward to. And I wanted these kids to have that, but that was another thing about the book is I said, you know, if I can help one person, I never went into this like New York Times bestseller um, and I'm going to make a bunch of money. Um, I've made really good money. I've been very um, um, safe with my money and I, it grows for me because I want to not ever have to do anything creatively, musically that I would have to do for money. So anything I'm doing, you'll go, Nikki's doing that because he loves it. Even if I'm getting paid really good, and it's okay to get paid really good. But this book was not about getting paid really good. This book was about reaching one person at a time, raising as much money as possible. million dollars is a lot of money, especially with every single company that I called. Um, guitar companies, amp companies, software companies, they were just donating donating. So this money sits there and they're able to bring in music teachers and help these kids for, for years. And it makes me feel really good for these kids. And you know, I, I, uh, it's called running wild through the night. It was not the Nikki six music foundation. These kids don't even maybe know who Nikki six is. I don't care. I, I I'm, I'm, do I I'm worried. I just like to know that I maybe helped somebody along the way.
0: You helped a million people. Uh, more than that probably. And the most important thing about these books are that they're great books. You know what I mean? Like at at the core of the books, they're great books and your music is great music. One thing you said, that's kind of freaking me out. It's like, you're like, maybe some kids will learn how to make hip hop beats. Maybe some dude will learn how to play guitar. Like Keith Urban. Do you have no faith in rock and roll is rock and roll? Oh, do you think rock no. and roll is shot? Oh, I,
2: I, I believe right now there's a lot of kids coming up or, Digging down on that Jimmy Page riff and, um, you know, throwing some Joe Perry right in their face and um, singers are, um, you know, out there realizing that they don't need to sing here. They can have highs and lows and melodies and harmonies and and hopefully people are really paying attention to lyrics because I think... When you listen to a band and you love the band, it's a lot of fun, that's great. But when you listen to a band and that lyric connects with you, and I'm not saying every single Motley chorus fame lyric will connect with people. Sometimes um, it's a song like Girls, Girls, Girls that was written for, hey, it's about girls, girls, girls. Like, why not? Let's have fun. Like we we're going to these strip clubs all the time in the eighties. But if you listen to the lyrics, they're really dark, grunty, truthful underbelly, uh, which is what's happening underneath that strip club world, those girls trying to claw themselves uh to the top and get out of whatever situation they're in. It's a very dark world. So but I don't want to be like, hey, look at this depressing subject. It's girls. So as a lyricist, I can dive down deep and have Vince really nail it and tell that story. And then on the top of it, we're able to sort of, you know, keep it a little lighter.
0: Well, I think that's one of your incredible talents is your ability to like do many, many different things within one song, like go Gothic, be funny, be topical, have an interesting rhyme scheme and then make sure yeah. each part hits musically. I think that's like a classic Nikki Sixism in general. Like you did it all at the same time, which is why it appealed to so many different people. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, what, I, know I was you- going to say on the rhyme scheme thing, um, I write kind of stream of consciousness a lot. So I will have an idea and I just start blurting it out. I actually do it on my voice message too, but sometimes I'm listening to my voice and it fucks me up. So I just start writing, 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 I'll write pages of stuff and I'll, ah, that chunk, that's some teeth. There's some meat on that. And, And then you apply it to the music. And a lot of times, you the rhyme scheme is they're not hard rhyme schemes it's not like you know you am going to get some ink and put it in the sink you know i don't use the rhyming dictionary but vince has this great ability to kind of tonally bend words to fit a rhyme on us and also, his accent, that.
0: his his Southern Californiaism, kind of does something where it, it serpentine[s] the the words in an interesting mm-hmm. way, and I think that's something that the two of you put together in a really cool way that's unexpected, and that's another reason why mm-hmm. Motley Crue did as well as it did because these four disparate people created this one unified sound. And I, I, yeah. I think that's for sure. One more question. Cause I know that we're going to run out of time and I want to ask you this when you're in like the most, I mean, potentially Motley Crue was the most debaucherous band in the history of rock and roll. I mean, you're right there. Like who could, who could possibly be more debaucherous on the scale? And I'm being honest, like who maybe Led Zeppelin, but they didn't have the same sort of ridiculous Outreach like MTV wasn't around. You know what I'm saying? So who right. could have who could have been as debaucherous as Motley Crew
2: the thing about my band is um they're kind of fear they're fearless. All of them. Like mick just say, I don't give a fuck. And do whatever he wants to do. And Vince is like a little fireball rebel, and Tommy just says how he feels whether it's right or wrong. So it was not like hard to imagine us just telling it how it is during interviews. And eventually, which turned into a book, which turned into a movie that a hundred million people saw, which launched a stadium tour. It's just telling it how it is. I just don't think we pulled our punches. And I know a lot of other bands, um, it's not my top to disclose who they are, but done, Just as much crazy ass shit as us, but they just don't talk about it.
0: Right, right, right. They don't talk about
2: it because because they're smarter than us.
0: Right, right. I get that. Now, what was it like when you were the first person to get sober within that framework? How difficult was that?
2: Um, You know, it all happened at different times. um, Vince, after the car accident, um, needed to be sober. uh, Was part of. His whole thing, you know,
0: the court settlement, what whatever,
2: it was such a horrible time for everybody involved. Um, so Vince was dealing with that and I was dealing with my addiction and Tommy was probably just partying and Mick was doing his thing. And then next up, I can't remember if it was Tommy or me, but we were all really heading on the sober train and then I think Vince had kind of gone off the wagon, but it was Right, it was around 88 that we kind of all got together and we're all going in the same direction. And um, when I went to rehab, the band came and visited me. And when Tommy went to rehab, we, we all flew out to Arizona and were there and part of his family group. And same with, with Vince. We know the language, we understand it, you know. So, you know, we were able to look at what we did and what it was starting to do to us and make changes. Not that everybody in the band is is sober. Um, You know, I can't speak for the other guys, but there are other sober sober band members. Um, And it's it's cool to have that in common. It's definitely cool uh, to have that history in common. I think it's hit me more... In the last, like, few months, I think since we turned 40 years old, because I think I remember when stones turned 40, and I was like, fucking hell, 40 years a man? Jesus, these guys are gods. Like, you know, how do they survive the Rolling Stones? And here there we are, 40 years. Oh, my God, how did these guys survive themselves? And it's like you're looking at your family and going, I can't believe that we're still, we're still together through hell. And there's so much to celebrate and so much bad that we've been through and how we've been able to or not support each other as brothers. And remember, everybody's, you know, has children, married, some, some uh, grandchildren and uh, live all over the country. Two guys live in Nashville. I live in Wyoming. Tommy's down in Los Angeles. So when you think about Motley Crue, it's like, wow, we're all over the place and our ages and what's, but it's like, look at this history that we have. And I'm really excited to go out and play live. But isn't it's been that a while. like- It's been a minute, you know, it's been a minute. I, I was, uh, this morning, it's just uh, my daughter, I put something on for my daughter and lit the fireplace. It was like 7.30 in the morning on a cup of coffee and I, I grabbed one of my bases and I was just, you know, Doing those little noodle things that us musicians do. I mean, I don't even know what I'm doing, but it just feels good. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden I was like, and I, was like and I was like, oh whoa. And by the end of a couple rounds of that, my hand was burning. Because I haven't it. played that song in a while.
0: Right. I, and you don't have the stamina. We right? have.
2: That live wire are pretty, pretty fast. So you got to build stamina up for that. So now I'm in the gym. I have a food delivery service called Fresh and Lean. They deliver uh, whatever I'm looking for. I'm doing a kind of a high protein thing right now. High cardio, starting the practice, starting to put the stage clothes together, starting to develop what the show is going to look like. What are we going to do that's different than Def Leopard? What's Def Leopard going to do that's different than us for the fans? And looking at all of that stuff, and it's just—it's exciting. And you know, a guy at another man texted me this morning and said, "Man, this 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 aging shit isn't easy." And he's like twenty years younger than me. I was like, "Give me a break, you know." Who was it? But Come on. Uh, he he said confidentially in his text confidentially. Um, so.
0: Was it Justin yeah, Timberlake? You
2: know, as you get older, it is harder. And as you're sober longer, you need to be aware that motherfucking monster is not dead. That thing might be chained up in the basement. Just just open the cage. Just open the, the cage that's on the floor. Let him just let him out. Leave him on the chain. Just let him out. See how that works out for you. And just don't feed sudden, him my wife leaves me i lose my daughter my other kids are the dad what have you you've taught us this and you're doing the opposite my band can't tour my finances crumble i mean all my businesses that i have my everything that i've ever done just cuz of that fucking monster fuck that monster that thing is i'm going to double padlock him up and whatever i have to do uh, to keep him locked down Because I know he'll never die. I know I could be 80 years old and go, well, babe, I did it. Took care of everybody, all the managers, the agents. Everybody's happy. Uh, You know, sold my record company, did this, did that, blah, 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 blah. We've moved to Fiji. Life is great. Give me a martini and a line of cocaine. I'll be dead in fucking 45 days. I know it. I know it. So like, what are you going to do with that? What are we going to do with this obsessive compulsive behavior? we are going to apply it to doing what you're doing. We're going to apply it to maybe writing books. We're going to apply it to people going to meetings and sharing their story with each other. And um, I think it's I kind of feel like, don't you sometimes just feel a little bit um, blessed that you're an addict? Like you so, see things a little clearer.
0: Yes. Yes, because I also know all of the things i fucked up, and I know that you can't give that monster a scrap of anything because it's like gremlins. You give them one thing, and it's over. You have to starve them. But I, I think what you just said is the whole thing. I don't think Motley Crue would still be going if you didn't persevere, and you wouldn't have any recovery if you didn't persevere. It's all about this obsession to do the next right thing as opposed to whatever fed the monster before now before you go i have a weird little quiz we do a quiz really quick quiz really quick i can
2: do i can, I can do a quiz you know
0: okay uh we're gonna start with rec with things you don't care about okay beatles versus stones
2: it was always stones i figured um, what, 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 okay how about john versus paul wings. Can I say Wings? <laughs>
0: How could you like, like Wings more wings. than the Beatles? Could you explain I like that?
2: More, I like Wings more than the Beatles, too.
0: I don't. You do. How do you like Wings more than the Beatles? Tell me. Explain. What are you talking
2: about? Have you ever listened to band? Oh, dear, we're done here.
0: <laughs> no, we're not. I can't, you know, so you like Paul more than John?
2: You know, I, I never really knew that much about the band. Appreciated the band was like, wow, how do you do that in eight years in and out like a flame ball? Um but I kind of always felt it was John's band until this new documentary that was out. And I was yeah. like, Paul oh, McCartney's a motherfucker. He's just sitting there, maybe got an idea. He's just banging on this thing and you're going, he's writing one of the biggest songs in the world right now. And the rest of the band's like Smoking cigarettes, <laughs> parked around. They're like, "Okay, let's try it." I saw that over and over with him. That was uh, that was pretty impressive, man.
0: Crazy movie, right? Okay, and Aeros, swings. huh? <laughs> so you and give wings? Oh yeah, he yeah. swings. Everything he touches swings. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin.
2: Aerosmith for me. They're my okay. Here, they're my number one band.
0: Aerosmith, and you and you you're friendly with Stephen Stephen and Joe, right?
2: Oh yeah, I'm friendly with the whole band for sure. I love those guys. Um, I remember uh, something kind of, for what it was Tom Hamilton and I talked about Tom and uh, he reached out to me and he's like, man, thank you for like talking about my bass playing and how much you know he follows an important part. And I was like, Can you just like pinch me because they are my band. Like they're the band. Like I could put on their first record and just go right back in t- right back in time. I mean, I just remember sitting in this basement, bad, ba da trying to learn that on bass. Right. And the way they sounded and looked and presented themselves, they were this bigger, battered New York dolls, sexier tougher, meaner stones
0: swinging funky as hell.
2: Punk as hell and bluesy. They're my band. But I love them. but they're my band.
0: When Steven Tyler here, like in the middle of it, I remember in the heroin diaries, Steven Tyler's like, if I find out you're fucking using, I'm going to kill you. Like was he a big influence on you in terms of that?
2: He went out of his way to call me back on the answering machine days. And I would always have messages from him singing Nikki, (laughs) you know, just singing and making up, you know, putting my last name in rhyme schemes. And I was like, How am I not gonna listen? Why how can I not hear this? This is I'm this is from God. Saying, Nikki, if you won't fucking listen to anybody else, will you at least listen to your heroes? Yeah, addiction's a bitch, isn't it?
0: Yeah. You know what it made me think of? Also, you know, in 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 the in the big book, and it talks about like not being the director. You know that whole thing. Yeah. How do you deal with that when you are the the director? You're 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 the leader. Like, how much in recovery was that a thing for you?
2: Um, it's a really good question. You know, you you have to say, am I? Um, this guy, I got the hat on, and I have this list of responsibilities. Oh, I hit a wall. Let me take the hat off and be open-minded. Oh, that guy sitting over there in the corner has a better idea than I do, and he's just like an assistant. I got new ego with that. You know, I, ego's not your amigo, man. It will take you yeah. out. So I've learned how to be responsible and be receptive, be responsible and be receptive, which can be applied like to a lot of things, like my marriage. You know, you got to be you got to be receptive. Um, you know, men and women are wired really differently. If you continue to think that they should be wired like you, you're just going to be hitting your head against the brick wall, and vice versa. So, I learned this stuff through sob- through sobriety.
0: Was humility hard to come by?
2: No, because okay. I i a fucking farm kid.
0: Right, right. That's okay, who I back am. To, back I'm not to a the quiz. Star,
2: just a fucking guy I lives on a mountain in Wyoming
0: with a great leather jacket, though. Here we go. Oh, thank, um, you. thank you. You're welcome. Much. Kiss or Alice Cooper?
2: Oh, Alice, Alice, man, those songs. Right. Oh, I mean, all of it, unbelievable. Lyrically, visually, felt more like it crawled out of a gutter. and he's a. Huge Kiss fans, and and I loved Kiss up to musically up to a certain point. I prefer them as songwriters than I do as performers, but I totally get it. I mean, I toured with them a lot. We've done a lot of shows. I get it. Um, but it would be Alice Cooper.
0: And Every Alice, night it-
2: Alice opened for us. I was on the side of the stage listening to the bassline, listening to that fill, listen to how he delivered that melody line you know on i'm 18 so for me that was a big one but kiss the songwriting and some really great 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 riffs and great songs
0: and alice is a monster in recovery also like recovery monster i love that yeah all right here's he one doesn't that's talk gonna be a
2: lot about it he doesn't talk a lot about it uh, in a in a big way but he'll, he'll, he lets it be known where he was at and the decisions he made and um he it's, uh, it's, it's. I'm grateful for that. We've talked about
0: it. I can imagine. This one's going to be harder, okay? New York Dolls or the Ramones?
2: Well, um, I love the way that the doll, let's call it their presentation, you know? It was, it was just like, what the fuck? Especially being in Idaho. Um, and they have like songs like Personality Crisis, I mean, that's a great written song right there. Um, Chatterbox. I, at one point we were talking about cover songs. I think around the time we were, we did Anarchy. That was one of the songs we talked about. I thought Vince could just really spit that one out. Um, but the Ramones, it was more consistent songwriting wise. Yes. Like you put on a Ramones album, from top to bottom, it was like those songs are like a bullet in the face. The dolls were kind of hodgepodge, which was kind of the dolls type thing. You no, know, they were, they only were here for a second. Um, I think they had a big influence on a lot of people. I don't know how much of a musical influence they had, though. The Ramones definitely had a musical influence.
0: Yeah, yeah. I you know I I'm like. I know you're a crazy Johnny Thunders fan. I prefer hearing Johnny Thunders sing the songs than uh David Johansson. I like his voice better personally, but I think I'm crazy yes. for that. Um, no, no, are, he had
2: a cool vibe. All
0: right, guy yeah, that's a
2: use recovery, right? There's a guy Say it again. There's a guy that could have used recovery.
0: Oh man, that's a fucking Did you ever see the documentary about him? It's fucking just no. so sad. It's like it's What's like uh it i don't know i'll google it i'll send it to your guy but it's like it's okay. sad and a lot of it is just on vhs you should check it out but it's because it's all the music it's all those solo performances where he's singing like yeah. eve of destruction and lonely planet boy and all that stuff and it like it gets you right in the heart um yeah all right, all right. i i mean like sid vicious or johnny thunders we'll leave it at that <laughs>
2: well They both, like, I think Sid, like, lit the world up on fire uh, in a way because it was this whole new thing with punk rock. And, and you know, now we understand that, you know, he could barely play. And he was a bit lost. And he was always fucked up. And, and I think that carving shit into his body and the look and the whole thing. I mean, you look back on it, and you're like, I feel so bad for that guy. But at the moment of impact, it was like, wow, man, that band, to me, it was, it was um, Johnny and, and him was like, what the fuck is this fireball? And I, I always felt like that's what I wanted out of Motley Crew. Like we did our first album was I wanted people to go, what is this? And, and, you know, you can go back and go, I can hear the dolls. I can hear the pistols. I can hear Aerosmith. I can hear Black Sabbath. I can hear Ian you know, Hunter's lyrics. You know, so all this stuff and it's like ground zero, bam. I love that. I love listening to bands first record because they had nothing to lose. I would venture to say that nowadays it's not quite as much like uh, going to sign a band, put them in the recording studio, see how it does. And record companies would support bands for like it would usually be through their third album. Right, it was a lot of these bands that we love. They broke on their third record. Now you got about six weeks. And if you don't fit the format, when I grew up, if you fit the format, you were fucked. You got to not fit the format to stand out, to make the kid go, what's that? Right. Now, if you're a what's that, it's usually, well, we can't play you.
0: It's also like then if you got into a commercial, you were like, this dude's a sellout. You, you have no, no fucking value. And now they almost have to be in a commercial to make it as a band because they're not selling records. It's a sad time, I think, for the music industry in a lot of ways.
2: There's we need to, um, we need to evolve with it. And I think that as far as making money, um, we don't have that support system of album sales that we had Set. through almost all of our career. Um, so, you know, bands got to be resourceful and the social media is a big part of it. Um, what I don't like is where the media is at right now. They love to just cherry pick things and turn it, <clears throat> turn it into clickbait. But at the same time I was telling my wife the other day, um, if that same thing didn't keep popping up that negative thing about that band, that negative thing about that actor, maybe I would never even hear about them totally so in a weird way, it's like bullshit is almost your marketing platform
0: right it's like it's like anything to sell papers kind of thing like if if it's if it's drawing you in then then it's kind of good for the artist, even though it feels bad for the art, yeah. Now Who was do you think your number one junkie hero coming up, and who's your number one sober hero now? How's that for a final question?
2: Um, Yeah, that's let me see. Your sober hero, I I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, I think that when I was younger, we just thought you could just roll out of bed and be Keith Richards. know, it's like Keith Richards, like. Popped out playing brown sugar out of his mom's vagina, smoking a cigarette, you know, and followed him quickly in the afterbirth was a bottle of Jack Daniels. Some guys just made it look so cool uh, and was able to get through that. I, I'm not one of those guys. It was like, oh my God, there is a brick wall. Get me a Ferrari. I'm going 200 miles an hour. I'm going to crash into the brick wall. Everybody's like, why couldn't you just drive the speed limit, Nikki? <laughs> right.
0: In the book, you say you're like, I'm going to call Keith Richards and see if he ever wants to write some songs. Like, did you have a connection with Keith like that where maybe he you could have written songs with him? Or is that just a total junkie, great pipe dream? In oh, the that was
2: like, you know, fantasy, fantasy land, you know, talking about what you could do if you wanted to do it. Um, I, I remember when we opened for the Stones. Um, that the band came in just to say hi, or excuse me, we went to say hi to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Through, like, you know, barriers, barriers of people with guns and security, you know, and went back in the dressing room, and there was like a little drum kit. There was some guy back there, just like a jazz shuffle thing. And there was some guy with a saxophone. And Keith had like a little amp. He was like, ah, ah, and we went in and, and he, he asked me if I had, at the time I smoked, um, asked me if I had a, a, a cigarette or, a, or if I had a light. And so I, like I lit his cigarette and lit mine. And he leaned on my shoulder and was like, you know, chattering on about something and playing his guitar. It's like, this is, I, I this is everything I ever wanted. It's everything I ever wanted. He's the real deal. He's just in here playing And Jagger came in and looked at the band and walked up to me and and started talking to me about uh, our album, about the uh, uh, Dr. Feelgood album, and uh, about the songs. And then, you know, that was like how, I mean, I knew how he knew because we knocked the Stones out of the number one position with Dr. Feelgood. And he's super on top of that shit. So he's like, who are these guys? Right. Who are the Stones? So, and, you know, he heard the record, he, whatever he thought, he thought enough of it to have us open for them. And, um, that was, that was pretty cool. It was Fucking intimidating cool. too, to be honest with you. And, uh, that was like the second time of during one time we were, uh, it was during the Dr. Phil tour. We went and saw them in Toronto and they just came rolling in. They're just musicians, right? They're just guys that play guitar and sing. They love blues and. But you see him in person. It's like there's those guys, Uh, so it was fun to watch my band get a little uh, not starstruck, just a little nervous. Like, what do you say? What do you say when Ronnie Woods like, hey man, what's going on today? And you're like, nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's the same thing that probably you've done to so many people. So it's awesome that it could happen to you. It's perfect. Did you ever read, do you ever read any of those books about the stones when they have to travel with Keith is traveling with the fake cans of Coca-Cola with the fucking dope and the Coke cans and then like some car company took over security and they had to like move all the drugs for them. Did you ever read about that stuff?
2: Was that uh, up and down with the Rolling Stones by Tony Sanchez? Yes. That was a fucking great book. And now, in retrospect, I'm like, wasn't he like Keith's assistant or something?
0: I think so. Yeah.
2: I mean, in yeah. retrospect, I'm like, what a, how fucked up is that? Like, to write a book about like such personal stuff. But you see things differently as you as you you know. And when I was like, when I was younger, I was like, oh man, give me the dirt. Hey, that's a, a good name for a song,
0: and a book, and a movie, um, and a movie. Was it hard for you guys to travel with drugs or was it not that crazy?
2: I told my wife one time, I have no idea why we didn't get our doors kicked in or hotels at porn. I, I don't understand. You're in fucking Peoria. I mean, it's a little tiny town and a band that talks about doing drugs in their songs and in their interviews and brags about their lifestyle. And there at the fucking Motel Six, whatever it is, and uh, no one showed up. No one. Wow. crazy, right? You dude? dodged I mean, a bullet. You're so lucky.
0: You live to tell the tale, Nikki Six. I cannot a thank you enough for d- different being different
2: time. So- a, a different time for sure. You know, I I I've told friends before. We talk about the '80s and what people. Are starting to wrap their head around now because when the nineties came, it was like, oh, that was the dumb era. But everywhere I went in the world, people were celebrating. The the economy was up. Cocaine was a social drug. Guys and girls were just doing what they want to do. You know, it was no it was like more like sex was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it was everybody fun was participating in it. Everybody was participating in it. Um, you know, and then the nineties came and they were like that, that was bad. And I'm like, you got boring, <laughs> but you know, that it was an important time as well too.
0: Wow. Well,
2: new bands are coming up, they got some guitar, Fucking riffs. That's what I'm looking for. Fuck the drugs and the drinking and the girls. All that shit. That was a different time. But just to be able to put a record on and go, yeah.
0: Well, you did it, and uh, I I have a billion more questions. But you've done. You've been so generous, and I really, really appreciate you coming on. I can't thank you enough. Dude, when, when you're in the New York area, I'm going to find out and I'm going to come to the show and we're going to do an interview and it's just going to be fucking drug stories. Were you prepared for that?
2: Probably not. <laughs> That's fair.
0: <laughs> That's fair. But thank you for your time, right, man. It was buddy. amazing. So, wow. Nikki Six finally on Dopey. I'm I'm pleased. I'm, 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 I'm proud as punch. I'm super pleased. That's like, uh, he's up there with the dopiest possible guests in the history of the show. That's a big get. It took okay. years and years and years. I messaged him hundreds of times. I, I don't think he ever saw the messages, though, because he probably would have thought I was insane. Right. And he wouldn't, wouldn't have, done have done it. I don't think so. What um, were the messages? Like, I'm watching
1: you through your window kind of thing?
0: No. Just my, my typical messages: is, yo, hello,
1: hey, hey, yo, what are you yo, yo. Hey, hello. Oh, and then that starts the conversation. Yeah. And has that worked for you? Yes, dude. How many guests have I
0: had on the show? Huh. Sometimes that works. Yeah. I mean, you saw Perry Farrell is all of a sudden in the tweets. Right. He hasn't slid into the direct message community. Direct but, message. But he has. Uh, he's tweeting about dopey. You know, this is how it's done. It's you take someone who's crazy yeah. and annoying and persistent like mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and you just fucking you're like water on a stone and eventually the stone wears down. Yes. That's what the, the, the key of persistence. Marin is. Maren loves you for that. Huh? Marin loves you for that. He he yeah. He he was he was pleased with my persistence and and yeah. I'm a persistent fucker and, and Nikki Six just came on Dopey and I'm very proud of that. Dopey Nation, I hope you enjoyed Nikki Six. Please write an email at dopeypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail Fucking I would have liked it if he got a little bit grimier. You yes. know, if he hit us with the dopey, as Chris would have liked to say. That's true. And I blame myself for that. Well, Howie, you were saying, what, what, why do you think he didn't hit us with the dopey? I mean, I think... From a non-initiated perspective. Yeah. I think the normy
1: perspective. Based on what happened when you asked him point blank to give you a crazy story in his response, it seemed to me like that was a past life. Right. I'm not interested in celebrating it. I almost took it as like... He's on the third chapter with the new book of his life, and he's so far removed from that. He, when, the, when this book came out, uh, The Diaries, then I could imagine he would say, like, all right, that's what we're going to talk about because that's what the book is about. But it's like he's so far removed. He, his story was almost like, oh, oh, that thing? you know that that was a long time ago and the and word I and i lesson. think
0: i said what's the worst thing you ever did and he said right.
1: disappoint my band right which you know. is like that's that's what you say when you know you've got 20 years of sobriety and you've had a lot of time to reflect and yeah that's what you did You were irresponsible and you let your band down. Wow. That's not like, that's not the craziest story though. The book is jam packed with
0: dopey stories. And I feel like if I had read this to him, it would have, I think it would have elicited a response. response. So I'm going to read this to you.
1: Please.
0: Uh, And this isn't the dopiest part, but there's just something about this that cracked me up. Pretty dope. Karen asked me, Karen asked me why when I go to the store, I only buy plastic lemons and ice cream. I told her I use the lemon in my tea after she goes to work and the ice cream, I just have a sweet tooth lately. I haven't really eaten food in a week. Junk is like that. So Karen has to go to the store and buy real food, which I never eat. I tell her I eat when she's at work. I'm getting so thin, it's hard to find clothes to fit in my closet. Of course, they say you can never be too rich or too thin. And then Nikki goes on to say, I'd use the plastic lemons to cook up my Persian heroin with. You can use real lemons, but they're such a hassle. I would have garbage bags of used plastic lemons in my bedroom, and the maid would ask me if she could throw them away, and I'd say no. Nothing is worse for a junkie who's using Persian than running out of lemon for your dope, other than running out of dope. I remember going into the market with a shopping cart and wandering up and down the aisles. I must have spent hours there and only bought lemons and ice cream. What a beautiful picture of decay I must have been to all the mothers doing their weekly family shopping. And I love this. I love that he only ate ice cream. I yeah. love that he had plastic lemons. I think right. that's just real funny. Lemons. It's funny looking. And because a real lemon is too much of a hassle. Right. And um, this Persian heroin is very legendary. It was Jerry Garcia always. He smoked Persian so he didn't need the lemons. He would just smoke it on his foil. Nikki Six shot the Persian, so he had to break it down with lemon juice. I never had Persian dope. Um, I always broke down our tar with water. <laughs> Very simple. Um, Dopey Nation, have you ever had the Persian? Do you have any Persian stories? Uh, please, again, write us, podcast at gmail.com. Fucking, this book is great. I suggest it. The other book, The First 21, is great as well. And... um Check out the YouTube channel. Check out, subscribe to Dopey YouTube. Yes. But even more importantly, subscribe to Dopey Patreon. Oh, shit. Uh-oh. What's that? Uh-oh. That's Louis Armstrong. That was my number one song to listen to in 2021. That's you not know, possible. Spotify gives you, they rank it. This was my number one song in 20. Like, I played this song more often than any other. You ready? This is a, This is the old person I am. You Ready? Ready?
1: you played a song that's a hundred years old. Sorry. I find it
0: very relaxing. <laughs> this is, uh, it's Louis it's Armstrong. It's my grandmother's house. It's Louis Armstrong live in, um. Is he ever not live? Yeah, it was in a, at a club. Live at, hold on, Newport. And the song is called When It's Sleepy Time Downs Where is Does he
1: sing? Yeah. Yeah, you know I went to Louis Armstrong Middle School. I know, and you and were a trumpet, trumpet player. player. Amazing trumpet! Trumplet. It's outstanding. It, it really is. And thing uh, uh, thing I mentioned that. Another, uh, can you still play?
0: <laughs> I highly. Do you have it. a trumpet? No, I sold it. What did you
1: sold it for? Dope. What did you sell the trumpet <laughs> for? <laughs> um, I sold it for cash on Miles eBay or
0: Davis was constantly pawning his trumpet for heroin, and then he'd get the club to give him money, and he'd go back and get the trumpet right. for the date. That was be a cool like the trumpet to buy, too. Oh yeah! If you if you bought Miles's trumpet right. in the pawn store, no one would ever do that. He everyone knew that he would he would fucking get it together. You know what I mean? And get right. It. Um. All right. So that was Nikki Six. I hope you guys liked it. Please subscribe to Patreon. I just posted the psychic Steph scary p- ghost picture of Chris this week on Patreon. Is Howie's uh, behind the dope? Howie's rage. When is that going up? It's up. Oh so my God. It's available on Patreon already. Oh boy. You go to patreon.com slash Um Are we going
1: to talk about? Did we talk about the uh, Pro Jam thing?
0: Yeah. I mean, Nikki Six and Eddie Vedder had a dust up actually the day we talked to Nikki Six. Oh, that's um, when it happened? Yeah. I, oh, I was funny. actually deciding not to talk about it, which of course was another amazing Blunder. interview decision I made. Right. I just didn't want anything to go wrong. Uh, yeah. Eddie Vedder bashed Nikki Six yep. and Motley Crue for being misogynistic and corny. And Nikki Six hit back saying Pearl Jam is the most boring band right. ever.
1: Well, he said that about the 90s in the interview.
0: Well, he said that the 90s yeah. were, were not were. as fun yeah. as the 80s.
1: Which I feel like maybe that was a backhanded... You know insult. he had
0: Pearl Jam in his mind when yes. he was talking about that, but I think also the 90s dethroned Motley Crue, yeah, so there's a lot of like resentment in there. Up. And uh, the 80s were a much more joyful time than the 90s, but the 90s, like hip hop in the 90s, I prefer hip hop in the like the early 90s, like that's my okay. favorite era of hip hop. 80s hip hop is good too. 90s rock and roll. From I mean, I like 80s pop. 80s pop delivered. Yes. 90s rock and roll delivered. Oh. Uh, I don't like Pearl Jam. I don't think you know. <gasps> I don't like Pearl Jam. You're gonna piss a lot of people off. You just lost a lot of listeners. What? No, they know. Chris they loved know? Pearl Jam too. I, really? I don't like. I don't like Eddie Vedder's voice.
1: i black. What does he say? And he goes. Uh, I'm leader, oh, oh, I'm still alive. <laughs> right. Fuck you. Everything. I like Temple of the Dog because he was dwarf. I'm
0: going hungry. Did I say, can I
1: say that Long Island enough? I like Temple of the Duel. I like Temple of the Doog. Temple of the Dog. I like... Um, Chris uh, Cornell is in that.
0: Yeah, I, I, don't, I could do without Chris I Cornell. Like some, what? I can do without Eddie Stop Vedder. It. Soundgarden? I could do without it. <gasps> I like Black Hole Sun, but that's Black about Blue it. Black Hole Sun. I love I Soundgarden. Do with, I like when it's Sleepy Time down south. That's what I like. But mm. I'm whatever. Mm. Um what I really don't like is how Eddie Vedder pronounces the word ukulele.
1: <laughs> he says "ukulele" because he's so authentically Hawaiian. Oh god, fuck that. That's like do you think Nikki Six says "ukulele"? No, that's pretentious. That's like uh uh what's his name? Uh who who's that guy who went on um James Lipton? He says "gravitas." Who is that? Uh Kiefer Sutherland. Sutherland. Yeah. Gravitas Yeah It's It's like what's what's your favorite word And he goes gravitas Does he say that's his favorite word Yes That's a great go They play it on Stern all the time
0: Now here we go We're gonna do uh, Before we go My favorite thing Is to do some dopey emails Mm -hmm. And we have We have some nice dopey emails And I love hearing from the fans That I love hearing from the dopey nation Mm -hmm. All right, Here we go I got this email And I just need to read it Uh I don't have the beginning of it. Oh, she writes that she joined Patreon, um, and but that's not why she's writing. She's writing to say because she appreciates that Aaron keeps nagging me uh, to go see the doctor. That's a good friend. She says, hi, Aaron. Uh, and since she's here, since I'm here, I'll hit you with a little dopey. I recently remembered a time I accidentally smoked PCP. I needed to score dope, and my dealer kept doing the be there in 15 minutes bullshit, and it had been three hours. So I decided to confront him at the biker bar he hung out at. I show up, I get my bundles, and I shockingly leave without getting blackout drunk. I go outside, and a houseless man, not homeless, but houseless man asks if I want to share a blunt with him. I don't even like weed, but I think, why not? So we share his blunt, We're laughing and having a good time, and then something shifts, and he just takes off running. No clue why. So I get in the car, and I'm fixing my shot. I get well, and I'm ready to drive home, but all of a sudden, I am confused. I can't figure out how to start the car. Like, absolutely cannot understand how to make my car move. I feel like an alien in someone else's spaceship. I start panicking and crying because I've never felt like this before. I'm trying to calm down, but I can't. My brain and body are not communicating. I look around and see someone walking their dog. I then start thinking that I'm telepathically communicating with him and his dog. Then I'm convinced he's M. Ward, the musician, who I don't even listen to. And I'm telepathically telling him what to sing. He's not singing. Eventually, I guess I nod out, and when I... Come to, come to, I realized I'd been trying to start my car with the flame of my Bic lighter, and the plastic part of my ignition is melted and fucked up. I laugh, put my keys in the ignition, and head home. Hope that made you laugh, and hope you're well. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for
1: Chris. And that is from CJ. And um, I love that story. You know what that reminds me of? What? Wasn't there a story about somebody who, <laughs> who went to the store and then was trying to get into the wrong car. That was me.
0: I know. That reminds me. That
1: sort of reminds me of that. Her
0: PCP story reminds me of that. Um, I'm the guys read, that came out after you. I'm going to read one more. Um, and this is from a guy named Anton. And he says, Hey, Dave, what's up, man? Fairly new listener here.
1: I never smoked PCP, by the way. Howie, did you ever smoke PCP? I think the last time I did PCP was probably in 1953. When Four. I
0: say PCP, yeah. like what pops say, in your I say hello. What pops say, in your ha, head? I say hi. What? Does anything pop in your head with the PCP reference? Is there anything?
1: No. I don't know. The story you just told?
0: What about trading places? Do you ever see trading places? And they, they plant PCP on Dan Aykroyd and forget it. You- I have no recollection of that. Right. I could
1: barely remember what I ate right, just for breakfast. Stop. Just stop it. <laughs>
0: stop it. I'm sorry. All right uh hey dave what's up man fairly new listener here my brother turned me on to your show about a month ago can you please pay attention i'm listening jesus christ (laughs) what are you doing on your phone i have to check a text you need to listen to this all right i'm sorry go ahead what's up man fairly new listener here i just threw a pencil at howie i wasn't on camera oh
1: that's what that was yeah
0: um It's safe to say I am obviously a recovering heroin addict. I just laughed myself senseless on one episode, and I felt I had to show my appreciation. My brother told me about Chris and what happened, and it fucking sucks. I don't know what to say, except that I bet he'd want the show to keep going. I feel like I've gotten to know you two over the time I've been listening, and it fucking hurts me, too. Anyway, man, your show does so much good, it's hard to believe— I know for sure that it has helped me and my bro stay clean and to be optimistic about a clean future, which I never, ever thought could happen. I guess we spent so much time feeling like pieces of shit and being ashamed about all the shit we've done. It's truly fantastic to be able to laugh about it and realize that we are just human and shit happens. I guess I'm just saying thank you for giving me and my bro some positivity in a time when there hasn't been much of that for a long, long while. That is a gift that no one, not friends, family, rehab counselors, et cetera, have been able to give. I am forever grateful for that. And I know my brother is too. Take care, brother Anton. All right. Thank you. Anton. That's a beautiful email. Uh, it, it makes me, uh, emotional, huh? So it makes you cry. Well, it makes me emotional. Uh, it's an amazing thing that, um, that this show exists and that, uh, Nikki Six contributes and that people write in and that howie is so crazy and OCD, and, yeah. and and howie set up all this shit like howie I know he's very beautiful and obviously a dynamic <laughs> co-host right. but he's a technical savant. He right. set up a lot of beautiful shit and um I don't know. I'm very happy with what we're doing. So please be in touch, fucking join Patreon, subscribe to YouTube. Buy that magic mind stuff. It's actually pretty tasty. And uh, most importantly, stay strong, dopey nation and fucking toodles for Chris. And thank you, Howie for Chris. But before we go, I have one last thing. I know the show is technically over, but before we go, I want to thank Br'er Brian for the home, sweet home, dope, sweet dope on the front of the show. And I have a little surprise for everybody. Which is that downtown Ray Brown recorded his own version of Home Sweet Home. He called it heroin. Here he is, downtown Ray Brown with heroin. Stay strong, dopey nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. <laughs>
3: just have to walk I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch those aeroplanes just pass me by I want to see a be good so bad so It's high noon where I stand My shadow's getting smaller busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds. peace and love are very 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 hard to find and I want to be good so bad so Go! No.